together in God's Word to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and to the chapter 27, the book of Exodus, and to the chapter 27. We're going to move down that chapter to the ninth verse, Exodus 27, and the verse 9. And we have here some of the instructions from the Lord concerning the building of the tabernacle. And so we'll read from God's Word, Exodus 27, verse 9, and let us follow God's Word together. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side southward, there shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of an hundred cubits long for one side, and the twenty pillars thereof and their twenty sockets shall be of brass. The hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for the north side, in length there shall be hangings of an hundred cubits long, and as twenty pillars and their twenty sockets of brass, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side shall be hangings of fifty cubits, their pillars ten and their sockets ten. And the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be fifty cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be hangings fifteen cubits, their pillars three and their sockets three. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four. And the pillars round about the court shall be filleted with silver, their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of brass. The length of the court shall be an hundred cubits, and the breadth fifty everywhere, and the height five cubits of fine twined linen, and their sockets of brass. All the vessels of the tabernacle, and all the service thereof, and all the pins thereof, and all the pins of the court shall be of brass. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation, without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. Amen. We'll end there at the end of chapter 27. And may the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word when was singing out 
his very best. We're turning together to Exodus, the chapter 27, and we have read a section here together, and therefore I come to speak in one particular aspect and detail of the tabernacle. And I have to confess, I am conscious as I do that, that Dr. Johnson is in the meeting, and I would count him an expert on the tabernacle. He has preached on it for many, many years. But I know our brother is gracious, and he'd be very sympathetic to me as I bring a few thoughts from this portion. Exodus, the chapter 27, and my text is the verse 16. And we're looking here to the gate of the tabernacle, the gate of the tabernacle. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four and their sockets four. And with this verse before us, let us just unite together and ask the Lord for help in the ministry of his word. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we thank thee today for thy promised presence with us. Yea, Lord, thou hast said that thou wilt never leave, thou wilt never forsake thy children. Lo, I am with you always. And even as we come, our Father, to open up the Scriptures, we pray that by thyself would be present with us by the power of thy Spirit. And, O Lord, reveal the things of God to us, that we each one would know what it is to hear with that listening ear and with that understanding heart. Open up our eyes, O God, to behold wondrous things from out of thy law and grant that it would be a blessing to each and to every heart, we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the tabernacle was that temporary structure that was erected in the wilderness for the children of Israel, and that was set up there in the midst of the camp, and all of the tribes of the children of Israel, they encamped round about the tabernacle. It was to be the dwelling place of God, God's presence in the midst of his people, present with them in that visible form, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And so the tabernacle was God's dwelling place on earth, God's dwelling place in the midst of his people. But the tabernacle would also serve as a great type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful study it is if you go into all of the various details of the tabernacle and you look at all of the materials that were used in its construction and you look at all of the vessels and you look at the colors that are here mentioned in this passage of Scripture, every detail is revealing to us something of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle is foreshadowing the Savior. It's interesting that the Apostle John penned the words, 
when he referred to the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there, that word means tabernacled. And so the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world was tabernacling among men. He was the fulfillment of this great type that is before us in the book of Exodus. But the tabernacle was not only God's dwelling place and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The tabernacle was that place where the individual would meet with the Lord. That's the promise that the Lord had given, that when the tabernacle was constructed, he said, There will I meet with thee. There above the mercy seat between the cherubim and the most holy place of all, the Lord would meet with his people. This was a very large structure. If you were following in the Bible reading, you would read that it was a hundred cubits long and it was fifty cubits wide. It was rectangular in shape. And if we were wanting a rough estimate of the actual size of that, we could say it's about the size of a football pitch. And so you think of this great rectangular structure that was there in the wilderness in the midst of the camp of Israel. And it was to be the place where they would meet with the Lord. There were three main sections to the tabernacle. There's that large outer court, 100 cubits by 50 cubits. And then there would be the second section that's referred to as the holy place. And then within the holy place, there would be the third section. It's the holy of holies or the most holy. And it's there where the Lord's presence would dwell. But if you were there present in the wilderness and you were going to approach the tabernacle, you would see it with that great structure and the four sides. The very first place that you would approach would be there the gate. There are three different entrances within the tabernacle. The first of them here is this outer gate. And coming through the outer gate in direct line with that, there would then be the door of the tabernacle that was into the holy place. And then within the holy place, there was another entrance and it had a veil across. And that veil was into the most holy of all. These three consecutive entrances all in line. But the first of them was that outer gate, the gate of the outer court. And then approaching the tabernacle, that's the very first entrance. And that's what we want to consider here together this morning and to see what this gate would teach us. And there are many lessons. All the details that are given here, we could never fully exhaust the lessons that there are. But the Lord helping us, let's look at a few of them. The gate of the tabernacle. 
Firstly, the significance of the gate. And the significance of the gate can be seen by way of its position. I don't know if you noticed in our Bible reading, but the different directions of the compass were all referred to. If you look there where we took up our reading in verse 9, it's speaking about southward. So the south-facing side of the tabernacle. And then you look into verse 11, and it refers to the north side. And then in verse 12, it has the west side. And then whenever you come to verse 13, it's the east side. The eastward side of the tabernacle, that's where this gate would be. This gate was going to be located in the eastward direction. That's the position of the gate, and it's not without significance. You would know that the sun rises in the east, and therefore every morning as that sun rose in the eastern sky, it was going to shine the light upon the gate. It was shining the light upon the entrance, if you like. It was lighting up the way to God. There, with that very illustration of the very position of this gate, we can see that the way to the Lord was being lit up. Picture of the Bible. Picture of the Word of God. God's Word is the light. God's Word is the light that dispels the darkness. God's Word is a lamp onto our feet, and it's a light onto our path, and God's Word will reveal to us the way of access to the Lord. It will show us where we're to enter in to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word shines brightly forth to reveal to us that way of approach and that way of access onto the Lord. And so with the eastern sun rising in the sky and it's lighting up the very gate there, showing the way to enter in, surely there's significance there. But we also see the significance of the gate by way of a principle that is set down here. The principle is that there's only the one gate, that one outer gate the gate that was going to take you there to the inner court. There's only one way in. And you could walk right around the outer walls of the tabernacle. And as you would walk right around them there on the north side and the south side and the west side, there was no access. But when you would come to the east side, there was this outer gate. And it was the only one way in, one way to enter into the presence of the Lord, one way by which to worship the Lord. And that's a principle that has been set down in God's Word from the earliest times. God's appointed way. 
And it runs right through the Scriptures, but back in the book of Genesis and the chapter 6 and the verse 16, and there it concerns the building of the ark. And the Lord gave clear instructions for the building of the ark, just as he gave clear instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And Genesis 6 and the verse 16, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door, the door of the ark, shalt thou set in the side thereof, the door. There was only one door. There was only one way into the ark. And there you have that principle, one way of being saved, one way of entering in. There's only the one door. And when it comes to the tabernacle, and we're thinking about that outer gate, there's just the one gate. There's just the one way in. One door. And only one. That's the principle of the gospel. When you're approaching the Lord, there's only one way of access to the Lord. And he said in John chapter 10 and the verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. I am the door, the Lord says. In John 14 and the verse 6, he says, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way. Only one way of access to the Lord. Acts 4 and the verse 12, the apostle Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way. When Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and the verse 5, he said, There's one God and there's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. The principle is there, right through the Bible and right through the gospel. There's only one way to enter in. The significance of the gate, by way of its position, by way of principle, and by way of its proximity. Just where it it was here, just inside the gate, If you were to enter in through the gate, the very first thing that you would see there inside the tabernacle would be the brazen altar. And so the proximity of the gate, the first piece of furniture, the first thing you would see within the tabernacle is this brazen altar. That was the place of sacrifice. That's the place where the blood was shed. The one who would enter in would realize that the only way of approach is by the way of sacrifice. The only way of access to God is on the grounds of the Savior's precious blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Do you see the significance here of the gate by way of its very proximity to the altar of sacrifice? It's teaching us even today how we approach the Lord and how we have access to the Lord. And I ask you today, have you entered in? Have you entered in by the only way? 
if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The significance of the gate. But secondly, the structure of the gate. And you look here at verse 16, or text of Scripture, and it gives details here concerning the structure of the gate. And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of 20 cubits. And the hanging here is the curtain. The curtain that's going to be used there as part of the gate. And that curtain would be made of fine twined linen. The curtain with its fine twined linen would of course be white in color. And we know again that the fine twined linen running through the Bible is speaking to us of the righteousness and the the, the purity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, right at the very end of the Bible in the book of the Revelation and the chapter 19 and the verse 8, and that's the chapter that speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in verse 8 it says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. What is this fine linen representing? What does it mean? She should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so that white fine linen is a picture of purity. And it's pointing us here from our text of Scripture this morning to the righteousness and the purity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, in every detail. And the interpretation is there for us throughout the Scriptures. The purity of Christ and the perfection of Christ. It's fine linen. There's not a blemish in it. Representing that perfect character of our Lord and Savior. You can see from our text of Scripture that it's wrought with needlework. It was to be embroidered. Therefore, there is nothing of, of a join. There is nothing here by way of imperfection. It's one piece. And right through the person and the character, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find that there is perfect purity and righteousness. Linen. Linen comes from flax. And flax that is grown out of the ground, out of the earth. Again, it's teaching us something of the Saviour. Isaiah 53 said, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. And the coming forth of the Lord Jesus Christ, even upon this earth, here's the incarnation of the Saviour and his humanity being set forth here. He came to earth as man in his perfect humanity. The hangings, the curtains of the gate pointing us to the Savior. What about the colors in this structure? Colors are referred to there in verse 16. We've referred to one color already. It was the color white with the fine twined linen. But it speaks there of blue. And blue is the color of heaven. That color represents heaven. 
And then it speaks of purple, and you would know that purple in the Bible, and even to this day, purple speaks of royalty. That's the royal color. Speaking here of majesty and of glory, that royal purple. And not only the blue and the purple, but there's the scarlet, and the scarlet is that deep red color that represents the blood. And what would the colors be teaching us of the Savior? Well, he came down from heaven, and he's the one who is the King of glory, the one who is full of majesty. But he came to shed his precious blood. You can see these details here concerning the tabernacle, and particularly the gate of the tabernacle. They're amazing in that they're pointing us to the Savior. The curtains of it, the colors of it, then the construction of it, the pillars. Pillars are referred to there in verse 16 as well. And it tells us at the end of the verse, and their pillars shall be four. Four pillars by way of construction, and the job of the four pillars was to hold up the curtains. And remember, those curtains are representing the purity and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the pillars are going to set that forth. It is said that the four pillars represent the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew will set them forth as the sovereign. He's the one who is the king of kings. Mark will set him forth as the servant, the one who came into this world and took the form of a servant. And Luke will set him forth as the savior, and John will set him forth as the son. And you can see the four pillars here as they represent the Gospels and the setting forth of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. The four sockets are referred to as well at the end of the verse 16. And their sockets four. The pillars would go down into the sockets and they were sockets of brass and brass in the Bible uh, will speak of judgment and that divine judgment would fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary and brass is known uh, as being the hardest of the metals and it's able to endure. The Lord Jesus Christ endured that divine judgment that divine wrath that fell upon him at Calvary. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Do you see the significance here of the gate? And you see the structure of the gate? And unmistakably, it's bringing us to consider the Savior. But thirdly, I want you to see the size of the gate. Because the dimensions are given. We have referred to the outer dimensions of the tabernacle. It was a hundred cubits long by fifty cubits wide. And here this outer gate was to be placed on the eastward side of the tabernacle. And when you look in verse 16, it says, And for the gate of the court shall be an hanging of twenty cubits. 
And so on that side that was 50 cubits wide, 20 cubits of that would be the gate. And that left 15 cubits on one side and 15 cubits on the other. And that's the detail that's there in verses 13 and 14. And the breadth of the court on the east side eastward shall be 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits. Their pillars three and their sockets three. And on the other side shall be an hanging 15 cubits. And you can see from our text that the gate was a hanging of 20 cubits. And so here we're thinking about the 20 cubits wide of the gate. We've mentioned that there were three different entrances to the tabernacle. Just the one outer entrance leading in a direct line to the holy place where the door was and then through to the most holy of all where the veil was. And in looking at the dimensions of the door and of the veil, they were 10 cubits by 10 cubits. So they were only 10 cubits wide, even though the area would be the same. 10 by 10 was 100 cubits square. But the gate would be twice as wide. That outer gate was 20 cubits wide, but it was only 5 cubits high. But the area would be the same, 100 square cubits. But as that outer gate was twice as wide as those inner entrances, the wider the gate, the greater the access. That's the point I want you to think about. The greater the access, the gate was wide. And really that represents the invitation of the gospel. And the scope of that invitation. Because the gospel is open to the whosoever. There's a very wide scope there. And surely the message is clear. That the invitation that comes in the gospel is all embracing. The door to heaven is open to the whosoever. And no matter what age you are. No matter what position you hold. No matter what your background is. The Savior would invite you to come. And he would say, come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the invitation in the gospel, not a wide open invitation. You think about this gate here. And we've indicated that you could walk right around the outside of the tabernacle and those curtains, those hangings that went right around it on every side and just the opening at the eastward side there. And so as you would walk around it, you would realize that these curtains and hangings are shutting me out from the Lord. Those hangings speak of the righteousness of the Lord. That's what shuts us out from the Lord. He is righteous. And we are unrighteous. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But when you come to enter in through the door and come by the way of bloodshedding and by the way of sacrifice, thank God when you come inside 
It's the righteousness of Christ that shuts you in. And we're surrounded with his righteousness. That righteousness that has been imputed to us and received by faith alone. But if you thought of maybe crowds there outside of the gate and they could be talking together and they could say, this is the gate. This is the only gate. This is the way of access to the Lord. And as you go through that gate, you'll be going by the way of sacrifice. And this is the only gate and it's the only way. Yet there would have been those that remained outside even though they knew the way, that all they had to do was enter in. I don't believe there would be one in this meeting this morning that doesn't know the way of salvation. And you would know that there's only one way of salvation. You would know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the door through which you can come. But maybe you remain outside You've never taken that step to come to Christ. If you're not saved today, we would urge upon you to take that step. To just come confessing that you're a sinner before the Lord. He has promised if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even this day, you can enter in. May God give you grace to come to him today.